One of my favorite movies uh, came out in 1998. Now I recognize some of that movie might be older than some of you in the room, and that's okay. Uh, but in 1998, uh, Saving Private Ryan came out. Anybody remember that, that film, Tom Hanks? It's a, a solid film. I love uh, movies about war, but it is one of my favorite war movies, uh, mainly because I like Tom Hanks, and the storyline is just really good. But you have Captain John Miller, who is uh, Tom Hanks, plays that character, um, and he takes his men, all right, takes place in Germany in World War II. He takes his men behind enemy lines over in Germany, works through different towns, and, and is fighting that war, all to find Private James Ryan, whose three brothers were fighting alongside him in that war, and those three brothers uh, had, had died and given their life to battle. And so the whole movie is about uh, Tom Hanks, Captain John Miller, looking and seeking and finding where is Private Ryan. We want to bring Private Ryan, our orders are to bring him back home safely. And as they go, as the, the plot kind of untwists, they end up, uh, Captain Miller, finding Private Ryan. And then when they get to him, he's confused. He's obviously grieving the loss as he finds out his three brothers have uh, been killed in combat, but he does not want to leave. He is committed to that mission that he's there. And, and so Captain Miller, uh, towards the end of the movie, is, is found trying to convince Private, My, uh, Private Ryan it's time to leave. And as he's convincing them, uh, trying to convince him over time, the Germans continue to push uh, and they become heavily attacked they keep fighting, and then eventually it gets towards the end. And one of the last scenes, uh, they are eventually about to be overtaken. And in an attempt, Captain Miller tries to, they, they've set up this bridge that needs to be exploded. The Germans are attacking. A tank is about to come across this bridge. Um, Captain Miller realizes that he has to get uh, to, to, to where he can blow up the bridge. So he keeps pressing forward, and he stands up, and he marches forward, and he ends up getting shot multiple times. And the last scene has him all wounded, bloody leaning up against a, a blown-up car, and this tank is just bearing down on him. So it's a scene that if you've seen it, you know what I'm talking about. It's just bearing down on him. And he's a bit dazed. He's a bit confused because so much is happening. He's shot. He's been shot. He's wounded. And what looks like defeat in his last attempt to, to blow this tank up and hopefully blow up the bridge, he pulls out his pistol and he's just leaning and he just one shot after another discharges his pistol. And at that time, as he fires the final shot, uh, the tank explodes. And out of nowhere, American fighter planes come from overhead. They're attacking, and they begin pushing. Infantry shows up, and they begin pushing back the Germans. What looked like uh, defeat uh, was actually just uh, American troops coming in and pushing back the Germans. And he ends up, Captain Miller, actually ends up dying in that scene, but not before he saw Private Ryan, and he, uh, not before he saw that Private Ryan actually remained safe and alive. And because of the sacrifice of Captain Miller and all of his men, Private Ryan was able to return home. And that's how the movie starts, and then that's how the movie ends. 
the beautiful war story that's centered around a great sacrifice of men in order to rescue one individual. Now, I love that story, uh, just like I'm sure we all love any narrative where the enemy who is out to defeat and to destroy is totally defeated. Maybe that's just me. I love a good movie when the enemy is defeated, and maybe even defeated by the most unlikely hero or series of events. And this morning, we continue on in our text in 1 John, and we see John remind us, church, of this beautiful truth that Jesus, hear me, is the hero of the entire biblical storyline. The entire Word of God points to Jesus. And while John points us to Jesus as our great rescuer, as our great rescuer, it's not without doing it in a way that is intended to wake his readers up. As we've seen the last few weeks with Pastor Ryan just digging into the word and what does it mean to remain, those who think they are of God but aren't, John's calling them, hear me, out of their slumber, and as one author says, he is calling them to shock them, to wake them up to their spiritual status as a Christian or not as a Christian. And so we do that. We pick up in 1 John chapter 3, verse 4. If you would look at me, look with me. You don't have to look at me. Look at the Word of God. 1 John chapter 3. Everyone who commits sin practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. You know that he, Jesus, was revealed so that he might take away sins, and there is no sin in him. Everyone who remains in him does not sin. Everyone who sins has not seen him or known him. So what is John saying here? Those who sin practice lawlessness. And Kent Hughes does a great job of defining lawlessness, and he says this, You'll see behind me, the willful, what is lawlessness? It is the willful rejection in the active disobedience to the will of God. Like when we sin, we are not just wronging other people. It's not just sin against another person. Folks, we are rebelling against a holy God. We are committing treason against a righteous and a sovereign king. So lawlessness is to literally disregard God's holy word and to reject his will and his kingdom. To be even more clear, sin is us saying to God, I hate your law and I hate your word. Some of you are thinking that sure seems harsh. And maybe others of you are thinking, man, thank goodness that's not me. But it is, the truth is, it it is you and me. Romans 3, the Word of God says, For all have sinned. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There are a lot of great people in this room this morning. Beautiful, great people in this room, but all of us have sinned. All of us. 
And because we've practiced lawlessness, as John says, we've rebelled against God, there are consequences. The Word of God, Romans chapter 6, verse 23 says, there is a cost for your sin. The wages, the cost of sin is death. Like, this is bad news, right? Like, you get to the point of the story, this is terrible news. There's nothing that you can do to offer uh, there's nothing that you can do to offer God in order for Him to accept you, to accept us. You can't learn enough. You can't give enough. You can't do enough. You can't work enough. And because we've committed such a great treason against God's kingdom, hear me, a great rescue is required. So while there's bad news, terrible, fatal news, the wages of sin is death. May you hear the good news offered this morning, that the story doesn't end there, that in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, the gift of the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. John does not leave us in our lawlessness. It's not the end of the story. He doesn't just leave us there. He reminds his readers of this good news, of this great rescue. And here's what I mean. Look, you know that he, what John's saying, you know that he, Jesus, was revealed so that he, Jesus, might take away sins. And there is no sin in him, Jesus. The Father offers His Son as a perfect sacrifice for us in love. That God would accept us, not on our own basis, our own doing, but on the basis of the Son's righteousness. For in Him, only in Him is there no sin. Or as John says a few verses back, He is the pure one. In 2 Corinthians, Paul says, uh, He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Hebrews 4.15 tells us, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one, the pure one, who has been tested in every way as we are, yet without sin." Again, in Hebrews 7, 25, therefore, he is always able to save those who come to God through him, through Jesus, since he, Jesus, always lives to intercede for them. For this is the kind of high priest we need, holy, innocent. Why is he the pure one? He's holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens, King Jesus. 1 Peter 2 he did not commit sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. Church, Jesus is our great rescuer, and all of scriptures testify to this truth. So because of that, we are to remain in him. John says in verse 6, everyone who remains in him does not sin. Everyone who sins has not seen him or known him. It's 
quite the bold statement here. And it's not the first time John has, has just thrown out some bold statements, but quite the bold statement. Those who remain in him do not sin. And everyone who does sin has not seen him or known him. Hear me, John is not affirming sinless perfection as Christians. That's not what he is affirming here. That would go, totally go against of what he said uh, back in 1 John chapter 1, verse 8, where he says, if we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Instead, if he's not affirming that, John continues to say, remain in Christ. It's like he just keeps saying, wake up from your slumber and take this seriously. Last week and the, the week before, Pastor Ryan just passionately described what is he saying when he says, remain in him. Because, Christian, of your new birth in Christ, you now, hear me, have a new nature. 2 Corinthians 5.17, a verse a lot of us probably know. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old is gone, and the new has come. Because the sinless Christ, our great rescuer, has shown up on the scene, and he has taken your sins away. Hear me, Christian, brother and sister, you have a new identity, and you have been made righteous through Christ, who knows no sin. Last week, Ryan touched on our, our union with Christ. And because of that, we've now experienced this definite break with sin as a Christian. John's not referring here to the occasional sin act of when he says everyone uh, in him does not sin. Like, brothers and sisters, you're going to fall. I will fall into sin. But it does not rule our lives as Christians. It's no longer this lifestyle that enslaves you or I anymore. It can't be, because we find our righteousness in Him who knew no sin. And if our identity is in Him who knew no sin, then we no longer can live a lifestyle enslaved to sin. It can't be the character of our life that defines us. It's no longer our normal attribute, our normal character trait. Our new norm is that in Christ, we no longer love sin. We no longer love sin. We hate it. We hate sin, and we want to fight sin. To use our verbiage about delight, we delight in God, which means, or in the Trinity, which means we do not delight in sin. Instead, we delight in the Father who sent the Son and empowers us now as Christians to fight sin through the Spirit. No longer our norm. He could have stopped there, but instead, we're going to pick up in verse 7, he continues building this case, remaining in him. Look at verse 7. Little children, let no one deceive you. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who commits sin is of the devil. 
For the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God was revealed for this purpose, to destroy the devil's works. Everyone who has been born of God does not sin because his seed remains in him. He is not able to sin because he has been born of God. Verse 10, this is how God's children and the devil's children become obvious. Whoever does not do what is right is not of God, especially the one who does not love his brother or sister. So John goes back to this phrase that he's used before, little children. Let no one deceive you into thinking that sin isn't a big deal, because it is. And this tone with little children continues to have this, John continues to have this fatherly yet firm tone all throughout this text. Gentle, fatherly approach, but firm in his response. Why? He's trying to get his readers to see that in Christ, in Christ, we are to have a growing absence of sin and a growing presence of love. You've heard that multiple times throughout this series, a growing absence of sin and a growing presence of love. He just keeps pressing over and over again into the seriousness of sin in regards to his reader's spiritual state. And he keeps building off of these statements like this earlier. The one who is in him does not continually live or delight in sin because Jesus knew no sin. That's why. Or the one who is in him does right, as we just read. Why? Because Jesus is now their righteousness. They can do right because of Jesus' righteousness. The one, now hear me. This is scripture. Hear me on this. The one who continually lives, continually lives and delights in sin. I need you to hear those words. Continually lives and delights. Go hard after sin. Has never known him or seen him. John's word, and is of the devil. I'm going to pause intentionally and just let that, let that sink in. I'm not John. I'm reading his letter. I feel the fatherly firmness in this, this approach to sin that we just haphazardly just say, well, it is what it is. And John says, no, no, you can't delight in sin. So may I just gently and lovingly put this before you today, do not be deceived. It is absolutely inevitable, church, that you will live out who you are. And here's what I mean by that. If Jesus is your great rescuer, then you're going to live out of an identity that Christ is the hero of your story. And that is the greatest adventure you could ever partake in. That adventure looks like you want nothing more than to point people to your hero, and you are willing to lay down your life because the hero laid down his life for you. So if he's your great rescuer, then you're going to live out in your identity in Christ. Friend, if you are here 
and you find yourself the hero of your story. Then you've been deceived to think that your life does not need rescuing. Blinded, convinced otherwise, justified by your own doing and your own actions that your life needs no rescuing. But you're here this morning. And I believe that out of God's great love for you, as he sent his son, out of his great love, that you'll see that the next part in verse 8, and maybe for the first time, realize that there is no greater story than the gospel of Jesus Christ. Next part in verse 8. The Son of God was revealed for this purpose. To destroy the devil's works. I had that going a little differently in my head. Like, maybe shouting hallelujah. Did you hear that? Let me read that. The Son of God, Jesus, was revealed for this purpose. To destroy the devil's works works. Like this is a big deal. And John is now calling his readers to the divine nature of Christ, that he is the son of God. In all of his glory, the son of God has been revealed. What hope we have that God didn't just say in the midst of this, big gulps, huh? Well, see you later. Y'all figure it out. Like he didn't just leave the story there. He didn't. He sent the great rescuer to do what? To defeat all the devil's works. They are no match for King Jesus. While I love a good Tom Hanks film and Captain Miller sacrificed his own life for Private Ryan, the better rescuer today of the story of the Bible is that the Son of God, the perfect the sinless warrior lamb destroyed the devil and all of his works. To expound a little bit further, Daniel Aiken in his Christ-centered exposition says this, the warrior lamb of Revelation 5 who defeated sin is also our champion who has defeated Satan. The devil is doomed. Like I, I, even, I even feel the weight of that as I'm saying that together. Like that our, our fight is not against flesh and blood, but it is a bit against the principalities of this world. Like even me saying that, there is some weightiness to us proclaiming that Christ defeated all of the works. The devil is doomed, even if he won't admit it. Jesus came onto the scene to take away sin and also to destroy all of the devil's works. The second person of the triune God, he invaded enemy territory. He took our enemy down in complete and total victory. No questions asked. He came, he searched out, he destroyed the works of Satan. He delivered a final knockout punch to the devil on the cross, an empty tomb is an eternal monument to his victory and to ours. What grace it is 
that He did not leave us. He sent the great, oh my goodness, the gracious rescuer to us. And so here's what that means for you as a believer. To understand to understand what it means to be indwelt with the Holy Spirit. Hear the words of 2 Peter chapter 1. His divine power has granted to us, His, Jesus' divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, the Son of God, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Because Christ has defeated the devil and all of his works, that means you have the power to preach the gospel to yourself now. For all things that pertain to life and godliness, you are now partakers of of His divine nature. He invites you in. doesn't just come to save you, but then invites you in to this great, grand adventure of living life empowered and indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And He gives you everything for life and godliness. So you, brother and sister, can preach the gospel to yourself. When you feel entrapped by darkness and accused by the enemy, hear this, you can preach the gospel to yourself that God has made you more than a conqueror in Christ. Jesus is your victory. When you believe you are spiritually powerless to change and say things like, well, I just can't help myself, you can preach the gospel to yourself that God made you spiritually alive in Christ. You are no longer dead because Jesus secured your regeneration. When you believe your right standing before God is based on your performance, Man, as I was preparing this and, and just walking through this, like this, this is me. I wrestle with uh, approval of man over and over again. Like, is what I do good enough? Is it ever going to be good enough? Over and over again, as a kid, as a teenager, as a young adult, as a husband, as a wife, is what I'm doing good enough? When you believe you are spiritually powerless, I'm sorry, when you believe your right standing before God is based on your performance, you can preach the gospel to yourself that Jesus has taken your filthy rags and he has given you his righteousness. Jesus is your righteousness. What glorious grace it is to know that our great rescuer has come through. Like all of his promises are yes and amen. And John closes out this section by doing what he has done so well. He continues again to build. Verse 9, he says, Everyone who has been born of God does not sin because his seed remains in him. He's not able to sin because he's been born of God. This is how God's children and the devil's children become obvious. Whoever does not do what is right is not of God, especially the one who does not love his brother or sister. So John here issues these 
last two verses, if you will, as kind of like indicators, as markers uh, of what, it, what does it mean to be marked as a believer, as a Christian, in your faith. He's going to expound on these in the next few verses, in the next few weeks. But the first marker he gives is that every Christian has been born again. And here's why that's a big deal. That means as a Christian, you've been converted or regenerated. Like this rebirth is actually known as the doctrine of regeneration. And it means this. Regeneration is a drastic act on fallen human nature by the Holy Spirit. By the Holy Spirit. Leading to a change in the person's whole outlook. He can now be described as a new man who seeks finds, and follows God in Christ. This beautiful work of the Holy Spirit is what marks true believers. It's what allows us to remain in God and to not continue in sin. Just for clarity, Titus chapter 3. For we too were once foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved by various passions and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful, detesting one another. But when the kindness of God, our Savior, and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us, not by works of righteousness that we had done, but according to His mercy through the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit. A mark of a believer is that they've been born again, regenerated, someone who is a new man, a new woman who seeks and finds and follows God in Christ. John Wesley has a sermon on this verse in chapter 9 that attempts to describe how it is that no one born of God makes it a practice of sinning. And this is what he says, if a believer is walking by faith and love, watching in prayer, then sin is excluded from his life, though even then we are liable to temptation. But if we cease to walk by faith, love, and prayer, disciplines of the word, we easily fall into the snare of the devil and we commit sin. He notes that great men who clearly were children of God like David and Peter did indeed sin, and the reason for their sin is that they failed to walk by faith and love and prayer and the Holy, Spirit is con- the Holy Spirit continually acts on our soul, and as long as this is followed by a reciprocal action of faith and love offered back to the Holy Spirit, we are able to walk in holiness. But if we turn a deaf ear to the constant work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we now open ourselves up to the possibility, even the inevitability, of sin. To the brother and sister who maybe you're just beat up this morning with those lies that I, I worked through earlier, preach the gospel to yourself, yes. But in, in any discouragement that you find that you're like, I just wish I was here, let me just remind you, discipleship is a lifelong process. The trajectory of our life as a Christian should always be going like this. 
Always be looking uh, to more like our Father in heaven. We should be growing in holiness, growing in our maturity and faith. However, there's those occasional dips. If you're looking at it like a graph, like we, the trajectory is this. To one day we're glorified and we stand before our, our Creator in heaven. But until then, our trajectory as a Christian should be this, but there's going to be dips, right? Like you're going to give in to sin. He's not asking you, he's not commanding you to be perfect. He's just reminding you of the power of the Holy Spirit to remain in him. Those occasional dips, you have the Spirit. Those that are weary right now, play the long game of discipleship. Be faithful in the Word. Be faithful in your prayer life. Be faithful to lead your children. Be faithful to just be ready and available. God, what might you have for me today? And then, Spirit, what will you do through me today? The disciplines of the Word. Be faithful in that. Do what is right, as John says, in the eyes of God, faithfully submitting to His will, to His kingdom, faithfully and joyfully cultivating the spiritual disciplines daily. And then, believer, you are marked because of the Spirit's work of regenerating your heart. Would you just trust that He will see you through and be with you in that? And real quick, the second mark that he introduces, John says, uh, that he's going to continue on with later, but he introduces it here, is that God's children love one another. Like, this isn't new for John. Back in chapter 2, he says this, this is how we know uh, that we know him if he keeps his commands. Gospel of John chapter 15, as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in His love. I've told you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. This is my command. Love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this to lay down his life for his friends. So what's the command here? To remain in Him. We've covered that. Multiple weeks, I've covered that today, but also love one another as I have loved you. John understands and is pressing into his readers that as a Christian, a born-again believer, we should look different. You don't have to be best friends with everybody, Christian to Christian, but we certainly should love one another. And all of our differences... How boring of a world would it be if we all thought the same thing and, and uh, you know, we all were on this side of the politics, we were all on that, whatever it was. Like, I think it's great that we all have our unique personalities that God has wired us to, to respond in different ways. And then He's given us the Holy Spirit to be patient with those who maybe not think like us. We can be patient, we can love. The command here is to love them. That's going to look different in every situation. When you're getting yelled at by somebody who seems to be a Christian, they proclaim to be a Christian, you're going to, have to, you're going to have to disengage for a second, and you're going to have to respond out of love. Otherwise, you're going to, be, you're going to sin, and you're now caught up in that sin, and, and it's just going to be a longer road around. The world will know that you are marked by God, by the God of love, if you love one another. What you see the Father do... I think Ryan said it a couple weeks ago, what you see the Father do out of His great love for you. 
what you see the Son do out of His great love for you is what we ought to do as Christians. Do as the Father in heaven does. Do as the Son of God has commanded. Love your brothers and sisters. And in closing, John, he uses some pretty distinct language here. You are either a child of God, which means beautiful truth, co-heirs with Christ, with the Son of God. John's words, or you are a child of the devil. If you haven't been born into the family of God, then you're in the family of Satan. That's it. Those are the options we have. And as harsh as that sounds, would you just hear the grace given through Jesus Christ, who is our great rescuer, who stepped into the world and who knew no sin, and as John said, was revealed to destroy the devil's works. Would you confess your sin this morning to him, to Jesus, who knew no sin? And would you repent of your sin and put your faith in him today? Let's pray. Father, We love you, we praise you, we thank you for your word that's living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, it's piercing to our hearts. I know that this passage, your word, is alive, it's illuminating our hearts in this moment, and maybe it's piercing to our hearts because of the, the stark reality that we're either a child of you, the loving God, or we're a child of the devil, who's the ultimate deceiver, who has no victory over your son. And maybe we just find ourselves this morning just wrestling with that, confused about the, the no sin. God, you, I believe that your Holy Spirit uh, is working and penetrating the hearts of your children right now. You're wooing those who are far from you and drawing them back to you, maybe reminding them of, of their regenerated heart that they have, that they actually have the Spirit and that they, they don't have to... Um, continue on in the, the chains of being enslaved to sin or maybe they're far from you because they've never known you you're the God who saves the God who rescues the God who redeems I just beg that your Holy Spirit this morning I beg you that you would have freedom to work in the lives of our children the lives of every man and woman in this, in this room this morning. I am mere man, sinful, broken, disturbed. If we look at 
Psalm 42 from our call to worship. Depressed, distressed. But in you, God, I'm made clean. I pray that those words would resonate with a, with somebody today. Not in their own doing, not in their own power, but that you would lift their weary eyes to the King of kings and the Lord of lords who stooped down, invaded this earth, and is known as the great rescuer. God, and that you would regenerate their heart today. Make them new. Lord, we love you and we, we praise you and we thank you for your goodness and your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.